You are now listening to Out of the Blank. To another episode out of the blank podcast i'm here with patrick how's it going patrick how do you say your last name it is teagle like like the bird but with the letter t in the front do you think of yourself like the bird um well soaring maybe but actually my all my like uh social media handles are teagle the beagle I don't know why, but like that's that is the best thing I've heard all day. I'm not going to it, lie, Teagle the Beagle. Yeah, I did. I have had that since I was like 13. And I created like an Xbox Live username. Like since then, I've just I've stuck with it. And I I don't see myself getting rid of it. I still remember my first gamer tag. Do you want to know what it was? What it was it? Rockheart one two five four seven eight. Was that like a generated one? No, that was one I made up because my whole family's in uh, plays an instrument. I'm the only one that didn't follow that path. So my dad was in a Kiss tribute band. My mom was in a, a Heart uh, tribute band. My brother was like, "Oh, let me play Green Day, 311, and all this stuff." And then I'm like, "Well, <laughs> rock is in my blood, so it's got to be pumping through my heart." And then they make you add a number, and I'm like, "I know one that's going to be extremely difficult for me to ever type in again, and that's one two five four seven eight." <laughs> You know, I said that, like, for whatever reason, my generated one was Vinyl Les Paul. Like, I don't know why it picked that, but it was, like, the ran- most random thing. It was just, like, I, I ran that for, like, about a year. And then I, like, picked one. I was just, like, okay, now I got to do one. Can you imagine if people's – actually, I can't e- – I don't even say you need to imagine because I feel like people's names nowadays are becoming things that you would hear on, like, a gamer tag. Like – when you said vinyl Les Paul, imagine that guy smokes a giant fat cigar and he dresses up in a tuxedo with really dark Ray-Bans on and he's always hanging out by a light pole snapping his fingers. And instead of just a 12-year-old. <laughs> I look <laughs> at like, as soon as you said vinyl Les Paul, for some reason, my brain went denim and then it just pictured Jay Leno in all denim clothing where I'm like, that is the sketchiest trend like how can you pull off all denim that is so rare to do my uh my ap bio teacher in high school he wore like all denim like denim pants denim shirt and stuff and it had a big old mustache and wore glasses His name was mr ford one of my favorite teachers of all time because he was actually like a good teacher but like i mean we would do there's like four of us in the class who are like they're friends of mine and we like would dress up as Mr. Ford. Like, I mean, we all went to Walmart one day, found like denim shirts and stuff, put on mustaches. It was a good day. That's the biggest anxiety. I think you just brought me back to was trying to figure out if I was going to have a good teacher or not. And I always kind of clarified if they had a fish tank in the classroom, that it was going to be a bad teacher because I feel like that's their I'm cool. And they just throw a fish tank in the room. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to be paying attention for the rest of this class because I want to look at Nemo over there. But then we had like a teacher with a snake. We had a teacher that all he did was play video games where 
literally the whole class was watching him play flight simulator and he was like this teaches you about the aerodynamics of the wind and how it can shift changes in a flight pattern that can actually cause a disrupting thing to happen you can end up like tom hanks and castaway i'm like we're in <laughs> fucking science class this isn't flight school but he no. was just like i just bought it so i check out this joystick and then like he's like i don't have time to play at home because i got a great year set and then he's like all right quiz time and i'm like for what what did we learn about science i don't know a damn thing on the periodic table i don't know anything what's what is that word what does the he mean is that helium i have no clue i think so yeah i didn't i didn't take chemistry i wasn't very good at that so patrick what do you do or what do you want to talk about besides random um i am a uh professional cook here in new orleans louisiana um i i cook for people that's that's what i do okay i have strong feelings about did you say louisiana or you say new orleans i say i said new orleans louisiana okay i said new orleans but new orleans louisiana okay i have strong feelings about new orleans because i came across a facebook video about people that are called ponyists. I don't know if you've ever heard about that. New to me. They dress up as ponies and they basically like, it's like gimp masks and stuff and they ride each other and they do it like an Olympic dog game. You know, where you see the dogs weaving in and out of the poles where people do that. And that was in New Orleans where I was like, what? But then I also credit New Orleans for my all time favorite band, 311. Yeah. Is that like a offset of furries? Yeah but it's called Ponyist and it's an actual thing and it's in your town. That is weird. And I will, um, I will correct you for at least if you want to make good with New Orleans, uh, New Orleanians around here, it is New Orleans, New Orleans, Orleans. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing about this town is if you look at street signs and way they say stuff, it's off. Like if you, there's, you know, a Burgundy, like Burgundy wine, they yeah. say Burgundy down here. Or like the calliope, like the piano thing, they say Calliope. Well, like I'm they, from Baltimore, so when we talk, it's like Baltimore, and then we say Monday, Tuesday. And I'm like, where did we all get these accents? I didn't even know I had one until someone pointed out. They're like, you have a really strong accent. What are you, from Boston? I'm like, why? But then <laughs> we also, like, I live in a beach town, so we get people from all over. And I had a person from Jersey that asked me how to pump their gas and she was a 40 year old my woman. friend my friend is from she's from oregon yeah portland oregon and she said like for the longest time until i moved down here i never pumped my gas and that that literally blew my mind i same thing she said i looked at her i was like what she's like i'm from new orleans or god i'm from new jersey and she goes i don't know how to pump my own gas and i said what she goes it's illegal down there i'm like and I looked it up. The two places in the world where it's still illegal to pump your own gas, at least in the States, is Oregon and it's also New Jersey. And I'm like, that's is that wild. an entitlement thing? Like, what is that? Like, I feel like that's a big skill that you need to know. It's like not how knowing how to use your oven, which I actually don't know how to do. So that's kind of why you're here to fill in that part for me. <laughs> oh, I'm this is a cooking class, not a podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know why that. I mean, they said like you know they create it's for jobs and stuff but like i mean all right if you think like how many gas stations are in say like a town of a hundred thousand like and there's two tenant two attendants per thing maybe i i don't know i don't i just look at like it's yeah. not like it's a it's not like a colonialism thing or anything like that 
I just like, that's a, that's a skill you need to have though. It's kind of like cooking. Like, I mean, I've learned to just kind of use the microwave. I can use my stovetop pretty well. Um, I'm mostly a can of like tuna. You know, I, I, if I do a chicken breast, I usually boil it. I think sometimes I can Ooh. grill it, but like using the oven is always so complicated. I remember someone will leave like chicken in the oven and it'll be like, it'll turn off or it'll do this. Then the thing keeps oh, beeping no. every no, no, 10 no. minutes. I'm like, no, it's not, it's not turning off. Like it's not, I would, I would I hit cancel. Pre it's not that smart. They're not, they're not, I mean, some are, but not, not mine in my shitty little apartment. Like it's not there. So cooking, you gotta, it, cooking started and it's been going since the dawn of time and stuff it's just how you use fire to make food if you look at it like that and there's of course you know different types of heat and stuff like your microwave is using like weird ass radiation and stuff or your stovetop is fire coming up and heating a pan or like you know electricity or magnetism with induction burners or whatever and your oven is just different types of heat so it's there's considered like i just graduated culinary school so i should be fresh on this um two types of heat there's moist heat which is like say boiling uh steaming stuff like that and there's dry heat which is say in an oven or if you're pan searing something there's no like liquid involved so that's what is considered dry heat cooking um and it's just learning how to use how those work like kind of the science of it and stuff and it's it's interesting well, as a chef, what's your or, a, or would you call, consider yourself a chef or a cook? Because those are two classes. At this stage, in, yeah. At this stage of my career, I'm a cook. I have not. I'm. I haven't. I actually haven't even. I'm applying to restaurants right now. Like I'm trying. I have a stage tomorrow at a one here in town. But it's. I feel like to call my chef is like a disservice to those or a slight towards the actual chefs who have come up in the years have actually led and managed people. And you know that I'm not there yet. I haven't done that. When so. I think of chef, I think of more of like the executive in the kitchen. And then when I look at cook, I'm looking at it's like he's the front lines guy that's got to make all the mass orders and make like the mass stuff. So usually, like you know, if you get like a bulk order for, of things, like we need a hundred of these, it's like that's a cook. He's the one that's going up. Let me hurry up and throw all this stuff on and create this giant mass order. And then a chef's more like we need one steak. It's like okay, I need to get this guy on it because he's very good at precising it down. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that is true there, to a degree. I think, like, anybody can be a cook. You can be a home cook, or you could be, you know, Aunt Betsy, who is really good at feeding all the people during Thanksgiving, you know? She's a really good cook. But I feel like, and even in, like, say, fine dining restaurants, you know, they're line cooks. Like, those are the people who do everything. It's not like I'm – and chef is usually – reserved for the title of like it's kind of man it's man it's management like sous there's sous chefs and executive chefs and chef de cuisine but there's no line chef like no one called in the original brigade system which is the was done by this old french guy named augustus escoffier who designed like this system of like a pyramid of people basically um and there but the thing is you go to like banquets people who like do just catering and banquets and stuff and they're leading it and they're chefs and they're just as skilled as anyone who can do a la carte meals and stuff like that 
So I, I think it, cooking boils down. Uh, you like that? I used the word boil on that one. Um, it goes down to more than just skill, I think, too. It's also a passion for it because I can tell you right now, when they say make things with love, that's something you've got to really take into instance. And especially in the world today where people aren't really enjoying their food like they should, I would say. It's more no. about like, let me vacuum this up into my face and then get to the next thing. And I'm a person at fault for doing that. I made, I've made, i made this same meal every day for eight years. And that's a can of tuna, a salad, or I'll switch it with a chicken breast or some fish. But it's all boiled. I just spice it up. I learned my whole spice cabinet. I think oregano on everything makes it taste like Domino's <laughs> pizza crust. Uh, cumin makes true. it taste like Taco Bell. And then spicy cayenne pepper I usually pour on some stuff with like a handful of dried cereal because I use that as my croutons. Yes, I've learned that way. But as a chef or a cook, whatever you want to say, you have a personal preference to how you like to cook and what you prefer to cook. Now, what is your preferred method and what is your preferred style? That's, we'll start, style, um, I... I gravitate towards Italian because that's what my family is. My dad, my mom is from Atlanta and all of her family's from Ireland and Italy. So that's her. And she was the oldest of five kids. So like her mom was cooking all the time. And so she was able to kind of pass some of that stuff for me. And then my dad's from Louisiana. So I learned a lot of over the years, like, you know, some Cajun and Creole stuff. Um, so I gravitate towards that, but I love I I can't say like I have my style yet because I love just experimenting, like picking up cookbooks and seeing like, ooh, that looks really fucking good. I want to try that. And like, I'll make it. And if it's great, you know, then I can try and like put my own twist on it or something or sub out something with something local from here. Because, you know, I can't get every, there's, it's just regionality. I can't get everything here with keep it like all super fresh. Um, preferred method that depends on the dish man it's one of those things that like you know you know you take a piece of steak and there's eight different ways boiling is not going to be a really great method because that's just going to be gross as hell well, let's but, say let's say you're tired after a long day and you want you just want food you want to eat but you're going to cook something how would you what was the first thing you turned to uh i turned to see if i have i usually try to keep some protein of some sort be it shrimp chicken, beef, something defrost, pork, something defrosting. I see what I have in there. And then if it's something quick, like I am not a snob when it comes to like cooking my own food. Like I, I will like, you know, do some fancy stuff or do some good techniques, but like open up a pack of ramen and just like, you know, adding some like fresh vegetables to it. Like I am not against that. Yeah. Or look, sometimes well, I'll, I'll just take, I mean, pasta noodles and just do that. What's interesting to me is something you mentioned about being from kind of like, uh, you know, like a little bit of a big family and learning a lot about Italian cuisine and stuff is if you look at like the history of why that food was included into that household and why people in that household ate that way, foods like breads, foods like pasta, foods like rice, foods like a lot of carbs, like potatoes and things like that are heavily influenced into large families because of the matter of how cheap it is and how much you can get out of what you get. And that's what I think is important is all these experiences you have, like you have a moment in your head right now of why the reason why you first really enjoyed cooking, whether somebody sat down and showed you it, what would you say your biggest influence was? Like, where did you pick up and realize this is something I wanted to do? Did it happen in school? Did it happen just watching your mom in the kitchen? 
Um, I mean, I, I would say at home because I saw that it was one of those things that we were able to bring. I mean, my family, we always host parties and stuff and have people over for football games or what have you. You know, we're just, and we'd cook for people. And people would come over and just like, oh, Eileen, that's my mom. The food's so good. Like, what do you do? Like, blah, 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 blah. And it was one of those things that I saw how, like, how happy it made people. So I would try and do stuff like, you know, I'd learn to make eggs when I was young or French toast and start there. And I'd have, I'd help mom with recipes and stuff. But like, I never really thought of it, like even going into college, which I didn't finish, but then I went to work. Like I started career in banking of all things. It was just kind of the job available. It's a big and dramatic shift from banking to cooking. We'll get into that. Uh, it's one, so I started doing that. I did that for like four years and I did stuff like at home for like my coworkers and stuff like kind of just, you know, oh, I'll make cookies one day or stuff, stuff like that and bring it in or for potlucks. But then I had switched jobs, uh, tried to go for more money and I just didn't like it. Like, I just realized that this side, it was like a more corporate structured bank, like a bigger bank and stuff. And I was just like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't love my manager for one thing, but like it was, I did that little didn't love is actually kind for her. Um, but I just, I started looking at stuff like, okay, what can I do? I, and I, you know, I just had a thought in my head, like, I love to cook. So I started researching like culinary schools and I found one, I found uh, the school I went to here in New Orleans and it was just like duh because it made sense my parents met here after college so I've been coming here since I was little like I've been they always tell me like you've been climbing on the best stools best bar stools in New Orleans since you were like nine just so I it just made sense for me like I love it I really like you ever hear about how when a person tells a kid like oh you have so much to learn i'm trying to show you this now so you don't have to find out later they just start parting advice on you or you're just like oh i get it but it's just going right through in one ear one out the other because when you're young you just want to do whatever the hell you want to do and i'm you not going to make your own decisions i think yeah i'm not old or anything but i think what's weird is my brain has completely aged from starting this podcast to where i'm at now just with the amount of information i've kind of soaked up and yeah. before it was eating a meal to get done with it now i'm like when i go out to eat i'm like looking at the actual menu instead of being like hey let me get some fucking dinosaur nuggets and some french fries <laughs> even though those yeah. are good or everything but like i was always dumping honey mustard all over my food drowning it basically and putting ketchup yeah. on everything but then like once i start going out and i'm like looking at the food i'm actually sitting there and enjoying it like one potato chip at a time like my grandma used to say to me that used to go in my fucking ear and out the other and i look at the world of like people that are just like they're literally shoving mcdonald's fries into their mouth to where the fries are grabbing onto the outside of your mouth like slow the fuck down and yeah we're not enjoying the actual food and it becomes really complicated because I know when everything started opening back up for a lot of people, everything was about going out to eat finally, but then even that's lost. Some of the best experiences I've ever had in my entire life have been going out to eat with my grandparents after a school week or something. I would go up there on the weekends. They lived about an hour away and I, we would just go out to eat Applebee's Fridays, anything. And it was fun. It was like you had stories, you had fun, you had conversation back before the era of the iPhone. It was a flip phone. So there was no games on your phone. And no. 
all that's getting lost now. And even with we talk about coming back and people now realizing what they lost, you're still focused on not fucking dying because it's yeah. like you're going out so immediately after all these precautions with the mask and all these things, which I get for good purposes. But then you're losing the aspect of what it means to have a meal together. And it really kind of hurts because I'm really hoping that home meals, those dinners you used to have with your family, you know, the ones that ended up getting like, you talked about a microwave or whatever with the radiation. I had a microwave as a kid that I used all the time to cook taquitos and hot pockets. Had a crack in it. I don't know that. Well, it had a crack in it probably is where a lot of the problems that came in my head today come from. Uh, Because I would just sit there with my head (laughs) on the counter and stare at your food rotating in there. And but you look at that, I had to make so many microwavable meals and learn how to survive all that stuff because both my parents worked two jobs. So it's the aspect of essential time is getting replaced with trying to survive. And you're not enjoying these meals, these things, and being able to compliment. I talked about a chef experience that I asked you about. My first yeah. experience into whatever cooking is or whatever cooking was or why people could be passionate about it was when I was with my grandma. She made every single meal and stuff that I was like, this isn't taquitos. No, she's like, no, this is this is food. This is actual. You're going to have vegetables and shit. And um, mm-hmm. she was showing me how to she was making a cake and she goes, hey, do you want to lick the beater or you want to lick the spoon? And she shows this little tiny spoon. And I'm like. I'll lick the beater, bro. Beater has more on mm-hmm. it. She goes, okay. Then yep. she hands me the beater and then she grabs the spoon and starts going all around the sides of the bowl. And she goes, yeah, you got played. Yeah. I, oh, my mom did that too. Whew. And I was like, but that really shows you like, don't always choose the first option. You know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. look around and really base your decisions on things. One of the things that I think was important for me growing up and I know not everyone has experience, but my mom, um, for most of my life she would stay at home and stuff so and it was really important for her because a, it didn't happen it was she had it growing up but my dad didn't because of his family and we we would every for most weeknights i mean probably four out of five times on the weeknights we'd sit down and eat as a family you know dinner together i think that was really important because like you said it's now nowadays and i think it's happened in the last like 20, 30 years with the advent of, you know, fast food and stuff and how popular it's become is because people are so, they think they're so pressed for time or rushed for time that they got to do things fast, 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 fast. Like they need instant gratification. They don't want to go sit down at even like, even at like an Applebee's or Fridays or something, they, and, you know, have an hour dinner. Like they don't want to do that. They want to be able to like hop in their car, eat in their car and go back home and do whatever they do. And it's, it's sad, like you said. Well, that puts um, more pressure on you as a cook too, because the fact of like cooking is so intimate. I know when I get down into the kitchen, I don't want anybody crossing over me. It's so hard to be able to focus on your own thing when you have a million people running around you, especially when the kitchen's so hot too. But also you're trying yeah. to create something good and they're like, you need it out in five minutes. You need it out in 10 minutes. It's like, oh my God, I'm already, like, how am I going to love to be able to do this if I'm being rushed? Which is why I give chefs and cooks and all these people that own businesses that deal with the restaurant industry so much credit because of the the amount of things that go behind it that not everyone keeps into consideration which i think is i'm lucky to be in a city like this where it has there such a illustrious fine dining background and stuff and just food background in general i mean there's some of the oldest restaurants in the country here um and it's 
a lot of people and it granted it is a lot of well i say that but i mean anyone from the old rich white man who lives on saint charles which is like you know one of the nicest streets in the city i mean it has mansions all up and down it to even like some of the like the people who live under the bridge like they they know food they know food they know about it they know how it should taste and everything they're not it's it's really a amazing thing but they know that service and everything they know there's a restaurant in the city called galatoire's which is one of the is a old one of the grand dames and friday lunch is a very important meal for them because they have you have to wear a jacket and you have to you know wear men must wear jackets and you go in there and lunches can take two three hours because they're sitting there they're drinking they're having meals like you order things one at a time and you just you're taking time and having fun and talking you know or just and you're talking to a huge table you can some people dance around and talk to other tables it's just a it's a really magical experience and i think that's where cooks what they want i mean what we want to be and chefs too of course we want to curate experiences we want you when you come into our restaurant or come into our home we want you to have a memorable experience with food like because we want it to taste good and we want you to remember it and just like oh wow this is something i haven't tried before or this is the best damn cream spinach i've ever had you know just you want to you want to relate a little bit to the people too. I think when you put your heart into it, you put a little bit of you, what you've learned into your food and people are able to You're taste You're putting that. your story on a plate. Yeah. There's a guy uh, in New Orleans I've had on the podcast who owns Southerners. Southerns? Yeah. Yeah, um, I love their chicken sandwich. Yeah, where he talked about the, the Richard Pryor. He was explaining to me about the whole bits and the things and the menu items that he had that were based off famous comedians, famous actors, and famous things. Yeah. When he was talking about the passion and the love for that, I was, you know, I was inspired. I was like, holy crap, this makes me want to learn more. What is the Richard Pryor? What is all these other, what's the George Carlin? And he's explained to me all these amazing things and how he got there and what the experience and the story was behind it. I'm like, that's what you want to know. That's what you want to hear. And it's so hard because you look at businesses nowadays, when people say you want to go out to eat, they're thinking of a restaurant where you don't, you're not able to put a face behind the place. You're, you're thinking of Ronald McDonald or you're thinking of the Burger King King. That's what everybody thinks of when they're like going out to eat. And then if they do go out, they think they need to wear a tux or go to a steakhouse. I'm like, yeah, go to a fucking mom and pop shop place and enjoy the food. And don't even just enjoy the food. Enjoy the experience. Go up there and ask. I always go up to a restaurant. I go, what do you like? And they say this, this, that, this is good. I'm like, yeah, I'll exactly. take that. It's one of the things we um, like going, eating in a, like say a kitchen that has like an open kitchen and stuff where you can watch it being made and you can see, like see the process and the time it takes. Cause some, I mean, in like a true, like from scratch kitchen, like they're not, you know, pulling shit out of a bag and like, you know, reheating it. Like it's, they're cooking things and they're taking the time to taste it and put it on a plate. And those dishes are a reflection of the head chef's career like that's what they that is them on a plate like i my um i got to at the end of our school we we usually do like this pop-up thing but we couldn't do that because of covid and stuff so instead we got to go do a stodge which is like an externship um two days and i went to this place called palm and pine shout out to jordan and Morris. and like they're from texas they moved to new orleans and they wanted they did like casual fine dining 
which so like fun plates they're all wearing like you know t-shirts and hawaiian shirts and fun stuff but like this it's this beautifully plated food with these like southern flavors but like they say south and south of that it's like caribbean mexican south american stuff like that and it was just this like there he's from texas so there he did like this is a chorizo i learned recipe i learned from my dad and stuff or something like that and it was just incredible you know the more connection you have with the food you're serving and the more proud you are of it i think it's just the better it is the better the product ends up being what would you say if you had to think of your guilty meal like the one meal that's like i would kill for anything like that i would love to have that what what is it what is one um i'd say like sometimes just like taking the time and just like splurging on like a nice big ass steak with some like really nice buttery potatoes and some brussels sprouts like that's like if i want to like just bowl out in my home place like that's that's a good thing for me but it depends on like it depends on if i'm hungover or not because sometimes just like a big ass greasy cheeseburger like will do do the job for me so maybe it's because i'm the type of guy that's like my besides microwave and hot pockets or something it was always breakfast food because I think that was the only thing my dad yeah. really knew how to cook besides like a burger. It was always like, we're having French toast for breakfast. I'm like, fuck. It's like, but when you're a kid, that's magical. That's like, oh my God, oh, we're yeah, having no. French toast. I was like Sunday breakfast when dad would, or my mom would say like doing French toast or doing like pancakes or she'd also do this thing called like a Dutch baby, which is like this giant ass pancake that you put in like a big old cast iron skillet. Those were like the best. And I mean, She's like, oh, we're going to make our own like syrup, like which is basically just sugar, water, and lemon juice. And it was just like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. And I had this you... giant like slice the size of a pizza and I'd destroy it. See, I have a – so what – I'm going to ask you what your um, best restaurant experience is. Not like one that you've worked in, but just one as like a kid or something going to, out mm -hmm. to eat with your family. So I went with my uh, grandma – not the one I was mentioning before that we always went on, on weekends, but I have another one in Baltimore. So she's about three hours away from where I live. So my dad would take me up there. Like, we're going to see, you know, she doesn't get to see you guys ever unless it's like Christmas. And so we're, I'm going to take you down there. You're going to spend the week up there. So we go to like six flags and we go up there. But I remember the first night she's like, where do you want to go to eat? And I'm like, fucking bat or uh, red Robins. And she's like, why? And I'm like, <laughs> endless bucket steak fries she's like what we went there all she did was spend five dollars on me she got herself like this nice fancy like steak or something i got over and over and over again kept refilling the same thing of fries and that's all i ate but i was 14 so i was like that's sustenance to me but that was such an amazing experience she's like oh my god she's like all you're gonna eat is steak fries i'm like what do you think we we're getting i told you endless steak fries she's like i thought there would be <laughs> vegetables or something i'm like no there's none of that in the menu potatoes are vegetable it's fine yeah just blank calories carbs um best experience i there's i would say there's kind of two i look at and one was like by myself and it was just because it was at an early point in my career earlier this year i had gotten my tax return so i had like a little little spend of money so i decided to treat myself to a nice dinner and i went to a place called nagami here which is like a Japanese omakase style restaurant, which is means it's a curated like sushi experience, like what it boils down to. So like it was like eleven courses worth of like sushi and stuff, 
but like I went by myself and I told the um it's just it's a 12 seat restaurant so you imagine it's like a bar and like he's doing everything right there and I told the guys like yeah I'm a culinary student just like oh awesome so like he would come by and tell me everything he was doing like how he prepared it and it was just and you know kept up with me talked to me and stuff and it was just for me that was like an eye-opening experience because it was a, a, a cuisine like of that like I've had sushi before but not like that like that was something just crazy so I remember that very like very fondly and then there was um there was a thanks it was a uh we went we had all of my mom's family down for Thanksgiving and we rented out uh a room at um this nice restaurant in town we had like 30 people in there and I mean we just all sat down just had this great Thanksgiving and it just talked to each other had drinks just it was well I hadn't had an experience like that and usually my dad doesn't like hanging out with my mom's family because you know in-law stuff but we all just had a great time it was just it was something really magical about that I don't know I went to a Orioles game and uh, there was like, uh, I wouldn't even, I don't even know if you can consider it a restaurant. It's, it was like a three-story house, but it was one of those row homes where it was like, the length of like the room was like, the, like you're in a hallway. Like, yeah, like, it had stairs that went up like one of those like Harry Potter houses, you know, the one that opens up like that. And there's like that hidden house. It was yeah. like that. So it was three stories. And at the top there was, it was just a restaurant. So there's a bar downstairs in the first one. Then everybody's like jam packed together. They only had enough to fit one table on the left wall and the other table on the right wall. Then there was a small walkway to go through. And we just sat in the corner and we just sat there, ate peanuts and waited for the game to start. It was such a fun experience just talking and like we're yeah. in this terrible place where people are elbow in India and shit. And you're just like having fun because you're with your family. And yeah, I look at what's your worst eating out experience? Because I have one that also is probably the one I remember the most. I went to, um, in my town about like maybe a couple of miles out, there's another little town called Berlin. And there used to be a place called boomers and they used to have like this milkshake diner type feel to it. And, uh, so you would walk in and I remember it was the waitress was why it was the most traumatic experience of my life because she wore so much makeup on her face where it looked like a mask that you could peel it off. And she handed me my cheesesteak sub and I swear to God, I was just like, some of that makeup had to leak off into my sub. And my dad's <laughs> like, no, that's not what happened. Eat your cheesesteak, dude. It's 10 bucks. I'm like, but we're being, it's the clown from it. Like I was like, just so about that, that I, my mind just, I couldn't even focus on eating my food, but what's your worst experience there? We went to, uh, we took a family trip up to Washington DC and we went to this, like, I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but it's like an old famous, like, um, place there has an oyster bar. And we were sitting there. Um, and I was probably 13. My brother was eight or he was nine, I guess. Yeah. And so we went in there and dad was, had, it was a place where my dad, he, um, his cousin's from England. He loves English soccer and stuff. He's been over there and he, um, he got a Guinness and it was just like, have you ever tried one? I'm just like, no, I was, I mean, I was 13. Like I had, they had given me like sips and stuff. I, I wasn't like, obviously I wasn't drinking. Don't tell so, like, your mother. Like, Here. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, they were in a, but we were in a public place. They're just like, here, just sniff it. So I like I picked up the glass and I, sn I I sniffed the beer, and our waiter was this 
big old Samoan dude. Like, I mean, he looked like he could play like, like nose guard for the Ravens. Like, I mean, just crazy. And he came over there in his loud, booming voice and just berated us. Like, he is a minor. We cannot be having people drinking alcohol. We could lose our, just loud. And he was, and my dad, it, he is, um, he is a wordsmith. He can, he can, I mean, obviously I love my dad and I love him to death, but he can definitely use his words to make you feel like this, but he was silent, silent. But I can just tell, like, oh my God, I've seen this face before. That's not like I had to, like, it was, it was just like, oh God, oh God. And he, like, we were all just, and he went to go talk to the manager and stuff because obviously, and we, we just sat in silence, like, for the most of the meal. Like, it was just the most awkward situation I had ever been in at that point, like, in public. Like, and I just didn't know. I know how mom was going to react. I know how I was going to react. Like, it was just, it was just, we were so tight and I, I will remember that forever. Like there are some moments though, like that's, that's a kind of accepted though, because you don't, you know, you feel like, Oh my God, like that's a little bit dramatic to be freaking out. If my kid just sniffed a beer. I mean, I get it behind the restaurant. Side. He thought I, he was thinking that I was drinking it, I think, but, and, but nonetheless, like there's a way to do that by like saying like, Hey, um you know just like hey yeah. you sorry he can't he can't drink you know he's 13 and just like oh yeah that's fine but the yell and like in this huge 200 seat restaurant but the you know sound like a fucking opera singer like yeah, that's what gets me though have you ever seen the movie still waiting mm-mm. with ryan reynolds i don't think so no it's where um it's like it has Dane Cook in it. It's a really good like kind of diner or restaurant movie. But um a woman okay. goes, This steak is like too rare. And like like did this whole thing where it's like, Oh, that's a Karen. Like that's a that's someone that's just like, Oh, that's just I don't want to deal with that. So they take it in the back and say, yeah. Uh, this lady is a total fucking bitch. And then the waitress gives them a thumbs down and Dane Cook's like, maybe he wants some Fermunda cheese and rubs this steak on his nuts and then throws it on the thing. I've seen I've seen that clip. I I know that clip you're talking about. I think is, it was it came on like Facebook or something. But is yeah. that anything of true in some places? In some places, yeah. Oh my God. I was like, why do you like, that's, that's the one thing my grandpa always told me about. Like he goes, cause I remember, uh, like my food took like 55 minutes. And when I was a kid, I was so like, Oh my God, 55 minutes is like 10 years. And, um, it came finally and I was, I wanted to complain about it so bad because it was the wrong thing. They didn't do it right. So I had to send it back and then wait again. I'm like, Oh my God, we got to wait again. And my grandpa goes, dude, don't fuck with the people that make your food. Can I go? There is, there's a fine line between, I think, like, if they got, like, 55 minutes is the longest time. Like, that means their kitchen's in the weeds or something, or they're just, they're just taking their fucking time. Like, that's, not, that's. But it was yeah, a 55 minutes where you're, like, looking around, like, people that sat down way after you were getting their food first. I'm like, how fucking hard is it to make a cheeseburger with French fries? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, that's, yeah. I mean, what did your grandpa say? 
my grandpa was like, just don't fuck with the people that make your food. And then it finally came again. And I honestly, I learned some humbleness. I don't think he really cared that much about trying to go after the waitress or waiter or whoever, because of the fact he had his food and he was enjoying it long before me, but he let me get some of it, which was nice, but it really put an aspect after I saw that movie, I was like, but it also goes down to the fact, like, even now when I go somewhere, if I wait an hour for food or something, I'm usually I'll get hangry or I'll get upset. But I'm like, it's all about that experience, too, when you're with someone, creating that with them. And also when it does come, I just try and be like, hey, I understand how much pressure you guys are in. I mean, I live in a beach town, so everything's seafood and everything's busy, busy, busy down here. And I look at all these people that are serving. I'm like, you guys are doing one thing I could never do which is be a chef and which is can work in the restaurant industry. One, I'd be eating all the food. And two, it's the factor of like dealing with people all day. I work front desk at a gym and I deal with some people that are like, I'm sick and tired of people not following protocol around here with the coronavirus. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Like I can tell somebody to do it, but if I walk away then they just take their mask off, what am I going to say? Like I can't force a 300 pound power lifter to put his mask on while he's deadlifting 800 pounds. Like it's just not happening. (laughs) And no, I just look at like a lot of people, they just want to complain to complain, but I look at it like this is a craft and it is a passion. And the fact that if you're able to continue doing it with all of these things and all of these, I guess really faults that make the industry so wrong. I mean, if you look at the restaurant industry, it is not an easy thing. It's not just making your food and then serving it to people. It is dealing with higher ups. It's dealing with people that got their own egos. It's dealing with heat 24 seven, constant stress, constant overwhelming fear. And I wonder with all that going on, how do you maintain, how do you try and, you know, keep that a love? I think there is a level of there the old what people consider like the old school way of like the European way of when you know what you see as Gordon Ramsay constantly yelling at you and shit like that where you know that's the old people say it's the old way I think I don't know if it's there because if someone does fuck up your food like as if I'm like an exec and someone does do something wrong when they know how to, if they know how to do it, then yeah, you're going to be mad because that's money they've thrown down the trash. Like yeah. you can't reuse it if you, you know, add too much shit or whatever. And with margin so tight, it is stressful. I think you have to, you have to have the proper systems in place in order to make it enjoyable. And you, but you have to really care about your employees. Like if you, if you put them through all this shit and then like you just send them off and you don't check in on them, like then what's the fucking point? It's like working for a corporation is so difficult for me. I used to work for Walmart like five, six years ago and I lasted probably a few months, but I was just like, this is a thing where they don't really know me by a name. They know me by like a number or they know me by something. And it's not like, I need someone to care about me as a business or as an owner of a place that I work for. Cause I want to feel like, Oh, you remembered my birthday. 
oh, you remember this. And that creates positivity in the workplace. If you own a restaurant, what I give credit for is all the owners that are like, we're so personally connected into these people's lives, like people that own food trucks, like my Bob, my friend, Bobby Dumont, he owns a food truck. And he's like, I know all my work. I have five workers. It's not hard to keep track of. And I make sure everybody's doing yeah. that. I know about their family issues. It's the same thing. We talk about teachers, good teachers, people that check yeah. in on your students and get involved, let them know what's going on instead of just watching force gump all fucking day. That just gets yeah. annoying after a while. It's one of those things that like, you know, and also another thing is that if you're putting out food, I think people are proud of. Like, and, and like, this is, doesn't maybe not applies as much to like, say, like your chain restaurants or stuff, but like in the world I want to work at, if people, if your employees are putting out food that they're proud of, that they think like, yeah, I'm proud to serve this shit to my friends, my family, I want to talk about it, then that creates a sense of pride in you and you want to put out the best thing pro and you'll go through adversity and you know, you'll make it through a, a tough ass five hour shift or six hour shift or, you know, whatever. And it's, it's one of those things that you just have to find your motivation for it. Like, why do you want to be here? Your food and, is a reflection of yourself basically. Yeah. And it, 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 it may be a reflection of the chefs, but like, you know, you're proud like at the end of the day, you're the one who plated it. You're the one who cooked it. And you have to be like, I plated each and every one of these to the best of my abilities. So if I had to ask you, what's the end goal? What do you, what do you want to see yourself in five years and 10 years? Um, right now, all I really know are restaurants. Like, and that's what I'm going to, I mean, I haven't, I haven't worked in one yet. Like I've worked for the school and do, I did like cooking classes and stuff like that and helped them with that. But, you know, I'm about, I'm about, I'm really just starting my journey. So I want to, I want to keep, I want to, no matter where I am, even if it's five, 10, 20 years down the road, I want to continue to learn. Like I want to learn as much as I can about this in the cuisines and just the great food of the world. Because food is something that connects all people, no matter what, for the most part, you and I can sit down at the table and talk and eat food. Like, and, or even if I can't, don't have the same language as you. I can eat food with you. So down the road, I think I'm, I, I, I would love to own my own place if that's in the, in the books or if I'm working in a, you know, a hotel. I mean, that's cool too. Like doing banquets and weddings and stuff. That's, I'm a-okay with that. I don't know though. It's, it's, it's kind of an exciting time for me. It's definitely got uh, some roads to choose from too. I think that's what we're all trying to do is figure out what we do. Uh, what we want to do, but what we want to do turns out to be the one thing that was the initial spark in the first place. A little slight thing you came across when you're a kid, you end up turning back to it. Uh, but when it comes to the worst food in your mind, like one thing you're like, I don't want to eat that ever. What is it? I'm always a proponent of trying everything once. Like that's that's a big thing for me. Like I, I don't like everything. Like I've had um like i say like i don't like straight up livers like liver like by itself but like if you turn it into like pate or something and put it on like crusty bread like yeah i'll eat the shit out of that but worst thing i can tell you mine's brats i hate italian sausage 
No, bratwurst is different than Italian sausage. All right, then I hate brats because that's what it is. Right. And that's what I know it by and I'll never have it again. I was massively <laughs> like ill when I was a kid, like for like a good weekend or something. And yeah, my dad loves those things and he was stinking up the whole house with it. So now whenever I smell it, I just get, I mean, to the was point he where- doing like the boiled, like the beer boiled yeah. brats and stuff? So yeah, that that will- I was out that and grape chapstick is two things I hate because those were the two things I was experiencing when I was sick. Cause I couldn't eat anything besides saltine. So what I was doing as a kid was I would put the chapstick on, lick my lips and it was like eating. So I was like, so I got sick massively from just that whole smell of it. So now like someone made it in my house recently and I was like, why do I have a huge headache? And I come downstairs the next day they're cooking brats. I'm like, why, why do you do this to me? It's like my kryptonite. Yeah, those there's some like boiled food. Like I don't really, I don't. There's some things that work, but like some, it's not great. Like one of the things I remember was great. I was sick at the time, but my mom made like macaroni and like hot dogs, and I don't know why if it was just the brand of hot dogs she bought, but it just made me sicker to my stomach. And like I can't, like the only time I really ever eat hot dogs is like camping or like on the golf course or at a baseball game. Like those are like Ooh, nothing beats a campfire, dude. Anything cooked on a campfire, I'll tear up immediately. I don't really eat a whole lot of red meats, but dude, I'll tell you, I will tear up a burger. My dad taught me if you put wrap it in tinfoil and put it over the fire, a nice corn on the cob that way. Fuck, it captures that smoky flavor. We're like, where am I? Am I in heaven? Because this is it. We always do. I was in Boy Scouts growing up, and we always did a uh, hobo. We call them hobo burgers because I mean, we just throw all of your we throw vegetables and everything into the like into the tin foil and just toss it on there and like wait like ten minutes and then like it steams and was done and you have your own bowl because of the tin foil and that's what we ate and those were those were a lot of my cooking experience I remember was my uh, at least with like desserts and stuff because my scoutmaster could make the shit Allison cop like Dutch oven cobbler oh it was so they were so good. And I don't know why, and I I almost like I'm friends with him on Facebook, and I want to get his recipes from him because they were just they were just incredible. I don't know why, but I, I gotta get I gotta I gotta text him. I gotta write that down and text him. <laughs> well, hey, look, I, Patrick, I appreciate you doing the podcast, man. Please, is there anything you want to promote your Instagram page? Uh, yeah, my um my Instagram page is uh, Teal the Beagle. Uh, that is like my last name, the Beagle. Um and support your local restaurants you know they're going through a really tough time right now um it's because people aren't going out people are i mean so go get takeout from your favorite place or if you're able to send them a, you know buy gift cards or send them a tip or you know whatever that whatever you can do possible um do it because you in the next six months the landscape is going to change a lot and i hope it's not as severe as people think it's going to be and I couldn't, and the ding means you're right. That's a sign from God. And uh, no, but uh, I appreciate you for doing the podcast, Patrick. And thank you for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast and stay tuned for our next episode.